Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. All right, I want to um, start a I want to start a new series today. I'm calling it Outward Bound, as it's been fairly evident from a lot of the um, what God's been saying to a lot of us in prophecy, and uh, that this is a season for us to begin to avert our eyes outward. You know, we have the upward, the inward, and the outward. We have the upward, our worship, uh, our our glorifying God with our lives and with our worship. We have the inward, which is often talking about not not just um, your inward life, but the fellowship of the saints. And then we have the outward, which is focusing our eyes on um, on uh, the harvest fields of the world. And, uh, you know, Jesus saw that there was a problem. He saw that the harvest was ripe, but he said the labor is a few. This is a problem. So he said, what I want you to do to address the problem is not to run around as headless chickens, but I want you to um, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will prepare and send laborers out into the harvest field. So, um, you know, as we look at what's happening in the in the world today, we see that there is a major, major, major issue uh, happening uh, right now uh, with the chaos that's around the world. And I guess the pandemic is just all it's done is it's amplified uh, a lot of the tensions that we see happening in the world today. And those tensions, um, there is uh, major economic tensions right now. Um, uh, countries are printing money left, right, and centre, which is um, which is okay. And it's been you know been a great blessing that the government's been able to provide a subsidy for many in our country um, who otherwise would become unemployed. And we certainly don't um, look a gift horse in the mouth, but. In terms of um, the economic climate, it's caused major struggles with small businesses. A lot of companies have gone out of business. Um, GDP has dropped now. We're officially in a recession in New Zealand. So um, we're going to see that that over the next few years, we're still going to have some major issues that we need to sort out. So with um, that, we've also seen the rise of uh, racial issues, particularly in the U.S., but those issues have spread out across the globe. And uh, in many cases, the, um, the protesting uh, w- with regard to racism, the protesting is now turning into reverse racism in a lot of areas and stirring up dissension, strife, hatred, and so we see there's, you know, right now in America, they've got their hands full. They've got fires on the West Coast. They've got racial outbreaks on in the South and in the East Coast. It's, um, you know, we really need to pray for the United States at the moment, but it's not just them. And I think about more at home. At home right now, you know, last night in our city, uh, statistically, somebody was raped and not just one person. Uh, a child was abused physically, sexually. Domestic violence took place in many homes last night in our city. Addicts were stuck to their pipes, their bongs, their bottles. And, uh, and we see that people all over our city are trying to unsuccessfully numb their pain. 
And the question we've got to ask ourselves right now is what is the role of the church in the midst of this chaotic world? Does God have a plan for us? And I want to take us back to a very, very simple scripture uh, that may seem at this point in time an interesting scripture to stick in the midst of this chaos. But when God gives a priority and he makes that a number one issue for us all and time doesn't change that priority, this priority that Jesus gave us is still as relevant as it was when it came out of his lips as it is now in the year 2020. And uh, Jesus prior to this had been discussing the issue of our primary needs, the, the issue of food, water, clothing, shelter, and every other basic need led, him, led up to this statement where he says, but what I want you to do, I don't want you to seek for all those things. I don't want your life to be about chasing after your primary needs. I want you as, the, as my bride, as the church, I want you to put this as the number one priority in your life. And I'm going to explain why in just a minute and why this is relevant for the chaotic times that we're living in. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. So first means first. It means first in priority, first in importance, first in value. It simply means first. This is Jesus' number one priority for all those that follow him is to make um, it a priority to discover, understand, and enter the kingdom of God. And he'd been addressing this in the midst of um, hitting us up about the way that we focus in on these primary needs that we have, and that takes all of our attention. So a few verses earlier, in uh, verse uh, chapter 6, verse 19, he said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. So he's saying, don't make the pursuit of earthly things your priority. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not where our heart is, there our treasure is, but he's saying that our heart is revealed by what our treasure is, our heart is focusing on the treasure that we're looking at. And so, you know, we look around the world, this is why the chaos right now is a major issue for the world and for the church, because everybody's pursuit of earthly things is being threatened. And with that threat comes stress, anxiety, and, uh, and health issues. I mean, isn't it great that Lydia is available to go into hospital to translate to people in her language where she gets an opportunity to share the gospel and to pray with someone and see God do a miracle? Because that's the reality in the midst of a world that's gone mad, that is freaking out. God has placed his people as kingdom dwellers, as kingdom expanders, and he's placed us strategically all over the world to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
So if we're focusing that we're getting caught up with how the world is stressing out, it's a signal to us that we're not living with this main priority and purpose in mind of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So let me just explain and illuminate kingdom a little bit for us so that we understand what the kingdom of God is all about. When we talk about kingdom, we're referring to the governing influence of heaven on earth. And so it's where there's a kingdom, there's a king. And the king is Jesus, and he is extending his rule and reign across the earth, not through physical buildings, but through inhabiting a people he's called his own and exercising influence through the agent on the earth, which is the church. And so the church becomes the agent of God to expand his kingdom, bringing heaven to earth. And Jesus said he gave two priorities there. He said, seek first, chase after, pursue the kingdom and righteousness. And so what is righteousness all about? Righteousness is simply right alignment and positioning within that governing authority. So it's having a right alignment with Jesus, having a right alignment with the, the, the citizenship rights of the kingdom of God, and making sure that we're in right relationship and positioning ourselves with the governing authority of the kingdom of God. And he said, when you do that, when you make my kingdom your priority, and you make my righteousness and your alignment right with me, he said, you won't have to worry about all your primary needs. All these things will be added to you, your physical needs, your social needs, your emotional needs. Anyone say praise God this morning for that today. So, you know, for many years, I wrongly believed that the kingdom of God was the same as the church. And, uh, and as I began to read the Gospels, I began to understand that the kingdom of God does not equal the church. And in fact, that Jesus never went out and preached uh, the good news of the message of the church. He went out and preached the good news of the message of the kingdom of God. And uh, so we see here just for a few examples of some of the places in Jesus' early days of his ministry. The first sermon he ever preached, Matthew 4, 17 from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. So Jesus became outward bound with the good news of the kingdom. Wherever he went, he shared this message of the kingdom, of this new kingdom that's on the earth. Luke 4 Verse 43 and 44. But Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogue, synagogues of Judea. So he didn't only preach the good news, but he also demonstrated the good news. Matthew 4:23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So he didn't just talk about this kingdom. He began to demonstrate the power of this kingdom 
that this kingdom had the ability to heal people from their diseases and their sicknesses. And we also read in many other parts where he delivered many people from demonic oppression. So the kingdom, it's a word in the Greek called basilia. It means royal power, kingship, dominion, and rule. And just a sidebar, Genesis 1.28 is where God gave Adam and Eve the original extension of his kingdom in Eden, where he told them and gave them dominion over their environment and to take that dominion. And what God was doing was giving them the original mandate of setting up his kingdom here on earth. So right now, what's all this chaos about? All this chaos is all about all around the world. And I love the vision this morning that Sharice Bell got of the, the map of the globe with all these little lights moving all around the world as uh, God's people were extending the kingdom and sharing the good news of the kingdom. So right now the world would be in serious difficulties if the church was suddenly removed from the earth. We would have absolute chaos and, and anarchy. Uh, there would be no good works taking place. There would be no influence and sultan-like taking place. But in fact, the truth of the matter is, is hidden behind all this chaos that we're seeing. We're seeing the royal power and kingship and dominion and rule of God beginning to spread throughout the world. So really what the kingdom and the theme of the Bible is all about is a king and his kingdom establishing a kingdom, not a religious organization. In fact, interestingly enough, we see uh, we see the rise of religion is simply because of the absence of people experiencing the kingdom. There is something within all of us to seek a kingdom. And when that kingdom hasn't been presented to us, the devil will make sure that a religion will be presented towards even atheism, a religion where there is no God is presented to people as a viable option. So the kingdom is not about a religious organization. It's about establishing relationship with God, extending relationship with man. It's extending his heavenly government to earth and influencing earth from heaven through you and I, his kingdom citizens. What the kingdom of God is really all about right now is a restoration of the royal family. Those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus throughout the world, kingdom kids, bringing about the restoration of the way that God originally intended our world to be. So this kingdom was never meant to be kept a secret. Amen. And so we've got to ask ourselves today, how is the church to demonstrate and reveal this kingdom to this crazy world that we live in? And I want to present you with what I would call my sticky statement for this sermon today. And it's simply this, and it's on screen now. Our church cannot become any bigger than our circle of love or our circle of inclusion. I want to say that again. Our church cannot be any bigger than our circle of love or our circle of inclusion. Let me explain that for a minute. Remember I said it's not about bringing a religion, but a kingdom. And we need to understand that religions are often defined by one common denominator, and that is their exclusivity. They become an exclusive club. 
And this is the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were exclusive and there were only a certain few that could belong to their club and their circle of influence was very small because of their exclusive lifestyle. And, uh, you know, Jesus became a problem for them and he became a problem for them simply because of this. He hung out with the villains of society. He hung out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes. He hung out with those who were crippled, maimed, those who were blind. He hung out with people who had experienced tragic loss, a woman who lost her son, two sisters who had lost uh, their brother Lazarus. And he's he's sitting down and he's having meals with these people who are normally not included in this exclusive religious club. Now, unfortunately, let me just go back to the statement again. Our church cannot be any bigger than our circle of love or our circle of inclusion. Love and the love of God demands of us to open wider our circle of inclusion. It means that we're prepared to go beyond the comfort boundaries of our life to mix with people maybe that you wouldn't normally be drawn to, but because the love of God compels you within your life, you are prepared to expand your circle of inclusion. Amen. And so when we have a cir exclusive circle, we only end up with a small circle of influence. In fact, there's, there's a church in New Zealand called the Exclusive Brethren. And they are the elite and chosen ones of Jesus. And they have nothing to do with the world whatsoever. Uh, they, have, uh, they build buildings that have got tiny little slits of windows at the top. So nobody can see in and nobody can see out. Uh, they've been around in New Zealand for a long time. And so they're an example of what we would call an exclusive uh, club of Christianity if you can even call it Christianity. But what happens is when we have an exclusive circle, we have a very small circle of influence. You can't influence those you're not prepared to mix with. Our love is limited in the way it's expressed when we live exclusive lives. If we have an exclusive circle, obviously not many can be included. So what's the key to widening our circle of influence and spreading this kingdom and becoming the salt that Jesus talked about? He said, uh, he said, if salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot by men. I think that's a really sore, sore, very sore um, statement that Jesus made. We can feel we can feel the boot, the boots already trampling over us when we start losing our saltiness and our ability to influence the world that we live in. So we don't include people because they're acceptable to us. That's often the reason why we don't mix with people. Do you remember Jesus? He said this. And again, this is one of his, uh, what we call the hard sayings of Jesus. And it goes like, it goes like this. He says, don't invite people to your house who can return the favor. He said, invite people to your house who don't have the ability to return the favor. And we struggle with that 
because we want to include people because they're acceptable to us. But what we've got to understand today is that we need to include them because they're already accepted by God through the blood of Jesus. Jesus has made every person acceptable to himself through the price of his blood that he paid for on the cross. Are you with me, church? You understand? If you nod to the head, praise God. Amen. <laughs> All right. So in order for the world we live in to be us, they must first see us. Amen. In order for the world we live in to be us, they must first see us, which means we can't hold on to an exclusive club or mindset attitude. To be of influence, we've got to widen that circle of inclusion within our lives. And so all of your stories this morning that you shared in testimony, guess what they were? They were you stepping out of your comfort zone and widening the circle of inclusion within your life to include people that you may not normally talk to, share with, be with, except the love of God in your life compels you for them to touch base with somebody from the kingdom of God in order that the kingdom's love and power can be influenced. One of Jesus' major sayings in the Sermon on the Mount was that he said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How are they going to be able to glorify our Father if they never see us? And remember, if they can't see us, they can't be us. And so this is, this, this is what Jesus says. He says, I want you to put it up there. I want you to put it on a lampstand. I want you to be able to uh, put yourself out there for people to see. And, I, you know, another place Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say in that day. I will give you the words to say. All he wants us is to be able to put ourselves out there so that they can actually hear and see an expression of the love of God as our circle of inclusion begins to grow. And I want to transition into an Old Testament passage as we come in for a landing on this message this morning. And uh, I want to talk about a, a random passage in the Old Testament regarding to what would happen to a widow if her husband died and what God's instructions were for that widow and for the surrounding family members. Because in the Old Testament, God never left our actions, our responsibilities to chance. He spelt it out in the law on how he wanted us to respond in challenging situations. So some of you may not have actually read this passage, so I'm going to read it through with you this morning. Verse 5 of Deuteronomy 25, down to verse 10. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears, this is to the brother of the deceased, 
The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Verse 8. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. And here's the saying, that man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. All right, let's break this down a little bit. I see some perplexments going on <laughs> in some of your faces. You see, um, this is why Israel was the envy of other nations. Other nations, if your husband died, then often you were left completely vulnerable without any way of making income. You had no husband, you had no children. The family line would not be carried down. You were committed to a life of isolation and your lineage would not be carried on to the next generation. So God doesn't leave this to chance. He gives instructions that the brother is to take the widow as his own wife and they, they are to uh, progenerate, have a child, and that first child will take on the name of the deceased husband so that there is an ongoing family lineage that will be not left to chance, choice or convenience, but rather will take place. And this woman will not have to become the, the uh, I guess, the the ire of society or someone who has not who is not able to fight for themselves or fend for themselves because of the fact they've been left as a widow. And so uh, God's heart was for people for people meant that the possibility of recovery was already in place before the need of it ever ever arose. And so we see here the refusal to act if the brother said no I'm not going to take on that responsibility. I don't want to take on that responsibility of looking after my uh, deceased brother's wife. So he had to deal with the drama of public disgrace that was associated with his refusal. But not only that, the generational stigma of being known as the family of the unsandaled that would be passed down from one generation to the next or the family that refused to help his family and that often meant that this family's life was now unbearable. Remember, these instructions are coming from God. How about that? We know that Jesus spat and, uh, and he placed the spittle and clay and put them on people's eyes. But here he's saying to this woman, if, if your husband's brother won't stand up and fend for you, he won't take responsibility for you, he's going to be publicly named, shamed, spat on and he's going to be unsandaled 
And this was in effect admitting that he had no real understanding of God's heart for his people. And over the years that we've served the Lord, our joy is that we have been able by God's grace to help restore many who otherwise would have been left in a very, very difficult predicament by virtue of their circumstances. Not, I'm not just talking about people who have been widowed, but people who have suffered all kinds of loss and injury and harm within their lives, mentally, physically, socially. And by fulfilling the duty of the brother-in-law, these people have now had the benefit of other people coming alongside them to help them when they couldn't help themselves. And many of these people over the years have gone on to live extraordinary lives. And I think about my story. Uh, I think about, for me, um, I experienced the love of a family who, who had no natural connection to me in, in terms of a lineage or relatives, but a people from a church family who came alongside a young man who was fighting alcohol and drug addictions, came from a broken family, was involved with anger and violence. I may never have recovered from my addictions and my, my brokenness if it wasn't for the people that visited me. They opened their homes to me. They invited me in for meals. They gave me money. They helped me when I couldn't help myself. They widened their circle of inclusion and they allowed me to enter their world. And as a result of that, I was transformed and changed by their love and the power of God. Because as a church, they refused to be known as the church of the unsandaled. Amen. They refused to be known as the church of the unsandaled. They took responsibility for me because of the love of God being shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. I think of the 20, uh, sorry, the 2004, not the 2014, the 2004 tsunami that hit Asia. And uh, what was very moving for me over this incident was the following weeks, days and weeks after the tsunami, which uh, killed a mammoth amount of people, up to 300,000 people were killed with this huge wave that came in after a massive earthquake under the seabed. And what was very moving to me was the fact that parents who survived the wave, but many of them lost their own children. Do you know what they went and did? They went and collected orphan children from their own village. Even though they'd lost their own children, they couldn't bear the thought of children in their own village who had lost their parents and they were left to completely fend for themselves. Um, you know, in many cultures, living without parents and being raised as an orphan is a life worth, worse than death itself in, in some cultures. And so these non-believers shamed much of the church by what they did. They took these orphan kids and they brought them into their own families and they raised them as their own. They refused, just like the Good Samaritan that Jesus talked about, they refused to walk past the problem, but they got involved and they widened their circle of inclusion to take these orphan children in and raise them as their own. And believe you me, there was thousands of them because their parents got wiped out with the tsunami, with the wave. And, you know, it's isn't it true? It's much easier for us 
when we look onto these situations from down under in New Zealand, it's much easier for us to send aid across the world than to become aid to where we live. It's much easier to send aid across the world than to become the aid of our neighbourhoods and where we live ourselves. So as I come to a conclusion today, um, you know, the world has every right to, as it were, spit in the face of any church, I believe, which, despite seeing a community ravaged by sin, will do nothing about it. And this is the high calling that we have to extend and expand the kingdom of God, make the kingdom of God and seek the kingdom as our number one priority of bringing the royal reign of the king and his kingdom, bringing that to bear through acts of love and kindness with good works that have been preordained and prepared in advance for us to do, to fulfill those words of Jesus Christ this morning, where he said, let your light so shine before others. So if I can just give some practical last few points, the first one I would say to us today as this first message in the new series called Outward Bound, let's widen our circle of inclusion. Let's not be exclusive brethren. Amen. Let's step out of our comfort zone. Let's bridge the gap by conversing with strangers. Why don't you join a local club that's around your area where you get the opportunity to meet with people? Don't be cold. Be warm. Be friendly. Be approachable. You know, I found over the years the many people that I've had the opportunity to lead to Christ that started off with a smile. Just simply being warm, friendly, and approachable. And people open up their hearts to you when they can see that you're a warm and a friendly person. So let's widen our circle of inclusion. Let's ask God to give you a heart. Give us a heart for those currently outside our inclusion zone. Those who need your help. I've got a few people in my immediate neighborhood right now that God is calling me uh, to widen my in inclusion zone and to include them into my world. And I'm doing that uh, for the, as Arwen shared with cutting the guys, the Muslim guys here today. You know, I'm doing that because I can then bring the kingdom and the message of the good news of the kingdom into these people's lives by first of all having a heart for them and being able to share God's love with them. And lastly this morning, let's let our light shine before men. You know, the, the operative word there is let. Take the handbrake off. Take the footbrake off. Let allow others to see the light of Christ in you. Do something small for someone else this week. Why don't you give away 20 bucks or something to someone as the Lord leads you? Shout some stranger a coffee who may be in the queue behind you and pay for their coffee. Maybe bake a cake, cook a meal, act in love towards others as God inspires you and spurs you on to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Remember, church, we're outward bound. We're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. And when we do that, we don't have to worry about our personal needs. Those personal needs are going to be taken care of because we've been willing to put God's number one priority, seeking the kingdom and expanding the kingdom here on earth. Praise the Lord.